I think that's the question that kind of struck me even as we were praying this morning. I think we all probably, those of us familiar with the Bible, are familiar with the translation of Emmanuel, which is uh, laid out in Matthew chapter 1, which we'll get to in a moment. But the real question for Israel at the time that the prophecy was given about Emmanuel was a question about their nation. It's really a question about faith. It's a question about trust. It's a question about whether or not you'll trust God. When he says something, when he makes a promise, will you build your life on it? Will you actually believe it and live it out? Faith is more than just intellectual agreement to a set of facts. Faith is lived out in everyday life. In fact, that's really the way that James says that we test true and false faith. James says, show me your faith by what you do. And of course, we know that we're saved by grace through faith, but we also know that it's impossible not to have our faith come out in our everyday life and our actions. And so Ahaz, King Ahaz, is the king that is uh, the king of Judah at this time. And the question really for Ahaz leading the nation of Judah at this time is, will he trust God? And that's the question that's really been presented to every person who's ever lived, who's been able to hear the gospel, to uh, see that God is real, to see his invisible attributes by what's been made, to hear the story of the Messiah, and to ask the deepest questions. Will I believe the promises of God? Will I trust him for my life? Will I build my family? Will I build my decision-making upon him? Ahaz, sadly, was what we would call a double-souled man. He really had not made up his mind that he would trust God. In fact, as we peel back the layers of Ahaz's life, he hasn't trusted God at all. He's done the very opposite. He's looked to man. He's looked to idols to save his nation. And because of that, God is dealing one blow after the next against Ahaz. God is allowing all the enemies of Judah to pummel Judah, to beat them up, but they won't be completely destroyed. But God's trying to get Ahaz's attention. And Ahaz just simply won't listen. And his story is sadly a tragic one. Even though he comes from a godly line, he just wouldn't believe God. And your life, and this is something that maybe a, a modern person could just easily brush aside, but your life will be determined by what you believe and what you do with that, that's really going to be the story of not only your life here, but your life in the future, your life in eternity. Let's check out Isaiah 7, verse 1 to get the backdrop. Isaiah 7, 1. Now, it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, Aram is another word for Syria, another name for Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but note this, but could not conquer it. Now the date is 735 B.C. Ahaz is the king of Judah. Ahaz has filled Jerusalem with idols. He has reinstated the worship of Molech, the disgusting god, that they burned babies in his arms as a offering to him. And though he is the uh, son or grandson of the great Uzziah, he is a wicked king. He is not following God. And the question is, why? 
A good contrast to uh, this particular man, Ahaz, is Isaiah himself. Go back to chapter 6, look at verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, so we know that Ahaz is uh, a descendant of Uzziah, who was a great king. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Now we know that in uh, John 12, 41, it says that Isaiah saw the glory of Christ. Because in the triune nature of God, really the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. And so just write that down, that in John 12, I think it's verse 41, it's the glory of Christ that Isaiah saw. And what makes the difference between an Isaiah and an Ahaz? Simply this, someone who sees the glory of Jesus Christ and decides that's enough for me to follow him. And a lot of people who let's face it, sit in churches every Sunday, may have not even made that most basic decision. That they've seen the glory of Christ. That they've seen the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And they say, I want that. There is nothing in this world comparable to the glory of God, the glory of Christ. I want to follow Him. Whatever that means. Wherever he sends me, I'm going to say, here I am, send me. I've gotten in touch with that glory. Ahaz somehow, in his darkness and his decision making, did not open his life to that. He did not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And so he walked in darkness. And Jesus said, those who follow me will not walk in darkness. They will have the light of life. We'll talk about that more on Christmas Eve. Now, here's what's going on in the nation of Israel at this time. The nation is divided. Ten of the tribes have seceded to the north. And they are a separate nation called Israel. And there's a separate nation in the south, in the area of Jerusalem, called Judah. Two of the tribes have stayed true to the line of David and the life of David and the heart of David. And they are Judah and Benjamin. And Judah and Benjamin are ruled by different kings called the kings of Judah. They're down in the south of the nation. Up in the north of the nation is the nation of Israel. Israel and Judah are divided. In fact, as you read your Bible, you'll find more and more that they actually are at war with one another. They fight one another. They're two fighting nations. They're in a civil war, if you will. And Israel in the north, for all intents and purposes, has come, become completely corrupted they've given themselves over to idolatry every king is a wicked king they they have idols everywhere they don't follow the god of the bible israel is just gone they're they're they've just given themselves over but judah there's a little spark of life in these two tribes in the south And God has made a promise to the royal line of David. And so God is with them despite the good kings or the bad kings. God has made a promise to the line of David. And God is always true to his promises. And so this is what's going on. And there's a time of crisis. There is a rising power in the world of this time written about in secular history. And it's the power of Assyria. Assyria, the capital of Assyria is Nineveh, where Jonah was to go and preach. And they are a warmongering people. They, are, they, they, have, they, they have no mercy in war. They're trying to dominate the known world. And so they're, they're a, 
uh, enemy on the rise, and Judah and some of the nations in this area of the Middle East see these threatening forces coming. And so the capital of the uh, city of Israel in the north is Samaria. And you have Judah, as I mentioned, down in the south. Let's read verse uh, 1 again. NIV, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, or Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel. Now you can see maybe a little bit more clearly who these enemies are. You have Syria just to the north of Israel, and you have Israel, and they are, notice it says, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. So just to set the stage so you can see it, Israel, that northern nation, and Syria have joined forces, and they've set their sights on Judah to the south. And so Judah, with these two tribes and not much to fight with, are quaking in their boots because they hear that forces have been deployed with the target sites against Judah. And when the, you know, the, the forces of evil begin to rise against us, and when we see we're outgunned and outnumbered, we begin asking big questions. Like, what am I going to do? Who am I going to rely on? Who am I going to trust? And Israel's problem, or Judah's problem here more specifically, is oftentimes they would try to find ungodly alliances rather than trusting in the Lord. And as you guys read your Bible, you know how many victories did the Lord give Israel supernaturally when they were outgunned and outmanned, time and time again. He would even pare down the numbers of armies and say, just, you have too many people because you're going to get the glory for this unless you... You decrease your numbers, and they would, and God would give them the victory. And so once again, they're in this situation. God is with them, but the question is, are they with him? There's an evil king. He's the king of Assyria. His name is Tiglath-Pileser, and he is on the rise. When it was reported, verse 2, to the house of David, that's Judah, or to the king of Judah, saying the Arameans, or Syria, have camped in Ephraim, that's the capital there of Israel, his heart, the king's heart, Ahaz, and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. When they heard these forces were deployed, just imagine if you heard that forces were deployed in Canada against the U.S., and just, let's just say that it was a, a, a serious, threatening force. Can you imagine what your household might look like, what your prayers might look like around the dinner table. I think they would take a new urgency, don't you? Times of war, times of difficulty, which the world has known for thousands of years, have really, you know, called us to ask some big questions about who we trust. When the storm winds blow in your life, that's really when your faith is tested, right? When things are difficult, when things are bigger than you, when there's giants and rivers and red seas and impossible odds. Historians call this uh, dual threat to Judah the Syro-Ephraimite alliance. And the people hear that the troops are deployed and they're shaking like trees shake in the wind. That's the picture. Now I want to show you a little bit more about Ahaz so you can see who he is. Turn to 2 Chronicles 28. So you're going to have to go back a good portion in your Bible. 2 Chronicles 28. Let's get the backstory for a second because I want you to see kind of what's going on 
with God dealing with King Ahaz. So this is 2 Chronicles 28, verse 1. 2 Chronicles 28, 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do right in the sight of the Lord as David his father had done. He was an ancestor from the line of David. Look at verse 2, 2 Chronicles 28. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel to the north, He also made molten images for the Baals. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and burned his sons in fire, sadly offered his offspring to the god Molech. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel, this is what God warned. I don't want you to repeat the detestable things that these people do. That's why I'm driving them out of the land. He sacrificed and burned incense on on the high places, four, on the hills and under every green tree. Wherefore, the Lord God delivered him into the hand of the king of Aram. And they defeated him and carried away from him a great number of captives and brought them to Damascus, the capital of Syria. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who inflicted him with heavy casualties. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, that's the king of Israel, slew in Judah 120,000 in one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Skip down to verse 16. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria for help. He had had Syria and Israel against him, so he sent to Assyria this rising evil world power. For again, the Edomites had come and attacked Judah and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and the Negev of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ihalan, Gedareth, and Soko with its villages, Timnah with its villages, Gizmo, I mean Gimzo <laughs> with its villages. That was a joke. And they settled there. For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord. So Tiglath-Pilneser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. He made this alliance with Assyria thinking, well, they're the world power of the day, so if I ally with him, then I'll be good. But instead of strengthening him, he afflicted him. Although Ahaz took a portion of the house of the Lord out of the... Uh, palace of the king and uh, of the princes and gave it to the king of Assyria it did not help him he couldn't even buy him off with that now in the time of his distress this same king Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus which had defeated him and said because the gods of the kings of Aram helped them I will sacrifice to them that they may help me but they became the downfall of him and all Israel Moreover, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, literally here out of the temple, he cut the utensils of the house of God in pieces, and he closed the doors of the house of the Lord and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoke the Lord, the God of his fathers, to anger. Now you can get a little taste, as you can see, of what this man was up to. 
in the time of pressure, back to Isaiah 7, he would not turn to the Lord. He was a pragmatist. He said, well, the other gods of the nations that seem to be doing well and beating me are helping them, so I'll, I'll burn incense to them. I'll, I'll, I'll try to ally myself with Assyria because they're stronger than Syria and Israel. But every time he went to help outside of God, God just gave him another defeat. And the world was against Ahaz. You ever felt that way? The world is against me. And can I break some news to you? It actually is. Oh, the world will applaud you when you're doing well for them. If you scratch their back, they might scratch yours. But it doesn't take long to go from a hero to a goat. I'm sure you've probably noticed the world is very fickle. They'll forget about you in a microsecond. They're going to be applauding you one moment and booing you the next. And Ahaz is trying everything. He's like that person in the water desperately trying to grab onto something to float. And every time he does, that thing has holes in it. Is that you? Have you tried everything but God? You're reaching for this, and this deflates. You're reaching for that, and that person disappoints you. And and maybe it's because you're a little, let's, let's face it, there are some people that are just simply angry with God. They've had many blows come into their life. They don't understand things. Maybe they've even prayed, and it's hard sometimes to make sense of this broken, fallen world. People disappoint us. Situations disappoint us. And Ahaz is there. The people are shaking. They're looking to him, but he has not led the nation well. And so the Lord says to Isaiah, verse 3, Isaiah 7, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and your son Shear Jeshub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. So God now says to Isaiah the prophet, who said, Here I am, Lord, send me. And by the way, Isaiah was told when he was commissioned by God, you'll keep preaching to the people, and this is what you need to know, Isaiah, and they're not going to listen to you. And you'll keep preaching, and they won't listen. And you'll keep preaching, and they won't listen. That's a tough gig. And so Isaiah Here's the voice of the Lord, and Ahaz is checking out the water supply, and the Lord says, you go and you meet him. You go, and you take your son, and you meet him at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field, NIV. The washerman's field is a place where they clean clothes. They would trample them down in cold water and use a kind of soap there to wash the clothes And Ahaz is in in a watershed moment. Isaiah has brought one of his children whose name means a remnant will return. And the message is that Isaiah, here's what's going to happen. Ahaz is not going to listen. But because of my promises to David and to the line of Judah, a remnant is going to return. Return from where? What's coming, folks? A Babylonian captivity. In fact, Assyria is going to take the northern kingdom in a matter of just a few years. It's going to be, I think, about 10 years, 10, 12, 13 years, and the northern kingdom is going to be totally decimated by Assyria. And then in 586 B.C., a little bit down the road, Judah is going to be taken into captivity by Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. But a remnant will return. There's a symbolic son. He's been named for this purpose. 
to show that even though the nation will be reeling from the circumstances, God will be faithful and a remnant will return to the land. Do you know that one sign that you can know that God is with Israel is the fact that they're still here? Think of all that that nation has been through, really from the very beginning, and they still exist, and they're, they're in the land today. In 1948, they returned to the land. Man, we're living in very interesting times. Their very existence is a sign. And so Ahaz is down checking out the water supply because enemies, if they could cut off your water supply, they could defeat you quite easily. And he's, he's contemplating and thinking about what should I do, and he's checking out the water supply, and here comes a prophet. Have you ever noticed there are strategic times in your life Maybe when you have a heavy heart, maybe when you're asking some big questions, that the Lord will send a prophet, I'll put that in quotes, a witness for Christ. And someone will share the gospel with you and say, hey, God cares about you and loves you, and I'm here to tell you. And sometimes we're a little blown away by like, how did you know? Sometimes I'll say to a person, I'll invite them, I'll say, hey, you know, I want to invite you to church. And they'll go, wow, I've just been thinking about God and thinking about a church. You know, the Holy Spirit has a way of using us as ambassadors to people who need to hear in that moment. Amen? Have you ever had that happen to you before? Where you're contemplating some big questions, all of a sudden a person shows up. I know that uh, when I got saved, Christians began to surround me. They were coming from everywhere, out of the woodwork, inviting me to church, saying, do you know Jesus? And I was like, they're coming from everywhere. There's too many of them. I finally yielded my life. Verse 4. Isaiah speaking on behalf of the Lord to Ahaz says, Say to him, God's telling him what to say. Take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted, Because these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, the son of Remaliah, chill out, loose translation. <laughs> be calm. Some of you just need to mark that during Christmas. I, I gotta be calm. Okay. And God pictures these two leaders deploying forces against Judah as things that you would just take out of a fire in your fireplace. They're just smoldering nothings. They may look like big trees, but they're nothing to God. Just be calm. Don't worry about them. Proverbs 24, 5 and 6 says, A wise man is strong and a man of knowledge increases power. For by wise guidance you will wage war. And in the abundance of counselors there is safety or victory. Proverbs 24, 5 and 6. If you're at a crossroads moment in your life, maybe you're at a Christmas crossroads in your life to put it that way, and you don't know what to do, make sure you're getting some godly counsel. And how do you know if the counsel is godly? See if it leads you back to God and His Word. It's not too hard to figure out. If someone is giving you counsel that is opposite God, opposite God's Word, run, stage left, exit as fast as you can. Because people will tell you things that really, in the end, will not profit you in the big picture. Be careful who you get counsel from. And so, he's told, hey, calm down. 
These guys are nothing. They may look like mighty trees, but they're smoldering firebrands plucked from the fire. Because Aram, verse 5, with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, has planned evil against you. God even knows what people say in back rooms. They say, let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabil. He's a good for nothing. Literally, that's what his name means. He's a puppet king. They want to supplant Ahaz and put their own king in there. Can you imagine being Ahaz and hearing that? They want to kick me out and replace me. Some of you have heard talk in your company. Sometimes you hear, you know, uh, all of a sudden, there's, there's these storm winds blowing. Oh, they're letting a bunch of people go. They want to replace us. It's hard when you hear storm winds like that. And so here's Ahaz. And God says, look, I know what they're saying. I know they want to put a puppet king in your place to control. But thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand nor shall it come to pass. Can you imagine being Ahaz? You're checking out the water supply. The whole nation is reeling. Forces deployed in the north. They want to supplant you as the king. And God says, I know what they're up to. A prophet comes. And it's not going to happen. Trust me. Now Ahaz is at a critical fork in the road. And there's a lot of people in our world that came to a fork in the road in their life. Will I follow God? Or follow this. And you know, there's people who have gone both ways. There was a contemporary of Billy Graham who was preaching to crowds of thousands, leading people to the Lord. Billy Graham went to the right and continued to follow God and millions of people got saved. And this other gentleman went to the left and ended up writing books against the God of the Bible. Although he had been used by God to preach the gospel to thousands of people. He went left and Billy Graham went right. Both now are gone from this planet. Let me ask you, who made the wiser decision? It's not hard to figure out, is it? See, sometimes in a temporal moment of time, we think, well, maybe, maybe I'll go left. Because left seems, you know, less difficult and and maybe it makes more sense to me in this moment to go this way. Well, that's where Ahaz is. He's literally at a fork in the road. And God's saying, just trust me. What they're planning is not going to happen. There's a plan stronger than theirs. And so the head of Aram is Damascus, the capital of Syria. The head of Damascus is Rezin. Now here's what God says through the prophet. Now within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered, the northern kingdom, so that it is no longer a people. Get this. In 65 years, about 670 B.C., exactly as the prophet prophesied, Israel's population was effaced from history. Foreign colonists were settled in Israel by the Assyrian kings, the intermarriage with the few Israelites who had not been deported by Assyria resulted in the Samaritans and marked the end of Ephraim as a separate nation. This prophecy was fulfilled to a T. And some of you are familiar with the term Samaritans. 
because that's the conflict at the time of Jesus that the Jews hate the Samaritans. Why? Some of you have heard, because they intermixed, they intermingled with who? People in the north. Assyria had settled people there, and Israelites married them, and that produced the Samaritans and more conflict. Exactly what God said would happen, happened. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. This is verse 9. And then these words. If you will not believe, you surely shall not last. The you is plural here. If you will not believe, you will not be established, New King James. Here's a word play. It's based on the word amen in Hebrew. Here's what it means. Believe and established are a play on the Hebrew, same Hebrew word from which we get our word amen. In the Hebrew picture language, amen means so be it, but it also in the picture is the life of a mother. Always there, always faithful. It's something like this. You could translate this language as hold God in doubt and you will not hold out. Or literally, if you do not firm up, you will not be confirmed, or the NIV has it, if you do not stand firm, Ahaz, in your faith, you will not stand at all. Ahaz, believe. Do you see how belief is much more than just some intellectual agreement? Okay, I believe. No, it's Ahaz, I want you to trust me right now in the most difficult moment of your life where enemies are coming from everywhere. I want you to trust me. Isn't that the hardest time to trust God? (laughs) I got plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, plan D, E, F, G. And then if those don't work, gulp, I think maybe I'll pray. That's us, folks. That's us using God as a last resort instead of our first go-to. God's like, hello, you're a Christian, right? Yeah, but hold on a minute, I'm trying to figure things out down here. (laughs) Really? Really? If you won't trust me now, you're not going to stand at all. For we live by faith and not by sight. That's our problem, right? I want to see things. I want to figure them out. I need a schematic. I need a bullet point list. I need a sign. Oh, we're coming to that. But that's where Ahaz is. See, if we'll lean on God, we'll stand. But if we treat God as irrelevant, we will become irrelevant. See, faith, and I think we all have heard this before, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Ahaz has to believe God for a victory that he hasn't realized. He has to trust God for it. And we say things like this, I don't understand, I I don't know. But faith has a future certitude. It is faith that takes hold of eternal life 1 Timothy 6, 12. Faith is the the handle by which we grab the promises of God and hold on to them and believe that God's holding on to us. 
And so the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. The prophet kind of moves into the background and he says, ask a sign. He knows how Ahaz is. He knows that Ahaz probably won't trust the word given by the prophet. So God says, okay, ask for a sign. Sometimes in, in Christian circles, we, we were a little nervous about that. We, we've read Gideon's story and we say, should I put the fleece out? Uh, Lord, do you want me to go through door A or door B? I'm going to fleece it. What does that mean, to fleece it? Does it mean a soft, cuddly blanket that you buy at the market? No. Here's what it means. It means that you're going to ask God for confirmation. And I know we need to be careful with that, but get this. God is saying to Ahaz, ask me for a sign. Okay, you're not sure. You don't know if you can trust me. Ask me for a sign. Can you imagine that? God says to you, most of the time it's us saying, Lord, give me a sign. Give me a sign. This time the Lord's saying, ask me for a sign. What? I'm always the one asking. Yeah, ask me. I want to give you a sign. God says, hey, Ahaz, ask from the Lord your God Make the sign as deep as Sheol or as high as the heavens. You got a blank check, Ahaz. Just tell me what you want and I'll give you a sign. How many of you would go, oh, think about that one for a second. What would you ask for? All right. A lot of people walk in the planet. I, I need a sign to believe. Okay. W what do you want? Well, if God could just open up the heavens and say, hello, I'm here. Do you know? God did. He opened up the heavens and came down to us. He's already done it in the person of Jesus Christ. The, the God-man who has dated the calendar of the world. People can't stop talking about him. Even the skeptics write their articles. Jesus, man or myth. Jesus, this or that. Oh, it comes out during Christmas season and Easter. You've all read the articles. They can't stop talking about him. And even the skeptics say, there was never a man like him. He's a great moral teacher, a great example. Of course, they ignore his very exclusive claims to be the singular way to be right with the Father. A blank check comes to Ahaz. Ahaz is told, ask for the sign. Cash the check. But Ahaz responds, 12, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Doesn't that sound spiritual? Wow, what a spiritual guy. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Wait, wait a minute. God just said, ask me for a sign and I'll give you a sign. I want you to ask me. No, I won't. Ask me. No, ask me. No. <laughs> what? That sounds spiritual until you really see it for what it is. He's trying to sound religious, but he's actually defying God. How many people? I don't want to pray and bother God. He's busy. He's running the universe. And... You know, we know, right? Sometimes it sounds noble until you really peel it back. What, what you won't ask God when he's asking you to ask him? No, I'm not going to do it. But Ahaz, God just told you to ask him. And so here's the response. Isaiah said, speaking for the Lord, listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? It's one thing to do it to people. 
But when God says, ask me for a sign, and you say no, now you're testing the patience of God. But God says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Okay, you won't ask Ahaz, I'll give you one anyway. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Some people refuse to ask God for help in the ultimate sense. From the ultimate enemies that have been deployed against them, the enemies of sin, death, we could add Satan to that. They've looked everywhere else. They've heard the message time and time again. God says, ask me. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And people say, no, I won't ask. No, I'm not ready. No, I'm going to look at my other options. No, I'll put it off until my deathbed. No, I'm not sure I want to be a Christian and be too serious about this Christian thing. No, I'm not going to ask him. And so they remain in unbelief. Maybe you see yourself surrounded by overwhelming enemies and odds. Maybe that's why you're here listening to this. The invitation is for you. The sign has been provided. In the immediate lifetime, this fulfillment of Emmanuel would come in a child born to Isaiah and his bride. But a second greater fulfillment is another Emmanuel who will deal with the biggest enemies that Israel and this world could ever know. And on that Bethlehem night, an angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there in Judah, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Please listen. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Do you know the verses that we've repeated so many times, heard, spoken so many times, this will be a sign for you, is probably rooted in Isaiah 7. You will find Emmanuel wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You'll find God's promise that he would be true to deliver from the biggest enemies, not Assyria. Assyria's gone. Assyria's blown into the dust. The enemies that we're talking about now are sin and death. The prophecy couldn't be more specific. A virgin who's never known a man will bear the Messiah. How does the prediction of a virgin birth and a Messiah fit the scene? Isaiah was telling the wicked king that no one would destroy the people of God or the royal line of David. The Lord will give you a sign is a plural you. It indicates that it's to the entire nation, but more than that, it's to the world. But here's the question. If God is for us, we still have an option. Jesus said, you're either for me or Against me. It's possible for God to deliver the sign, to provide his end of the deal, if you will, but we still have to 
jump on board. Check this out. This is Isaiah 8. Look at verse 13. It is the Lord of hosts, Isaiah 8, 13, whom you should regard as holy. He shall be your fear. He shall be your dread, 8, 14. Then he shall become what? A sanctuary. But to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You see, if you will trust the Lord, if you will fear Him, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, if you will allow Him to be treated as holy, then, 14, He will become what? He will become a sanctuary. But if you won't trust Him, then He won't be your sanctuary. And as positive and encouraging and hopeful as Emmanuel is, there's a flip side. He is with us. But the question is, are we with Him? And the good news is that He's so patient. You see, Emmanuel has come. He is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Once you turn all the way to Matthew, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. I want to show you uh, how Matthew refers to this great prophecy in a classic Christmas text, Matthew 1. And we'll finish up with this and just maybe kind of meditating on God's word with these angles in the book of Isaiah. Here's Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, Matthew 1.19. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, or Jesus. It literally means, his name means, Yahweh is salvation. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. See, he will defeat the biggest enemy of all. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, everybody can write there, Isaiah, might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her, Mary, as his wife, and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Father, thank you for Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you that you've already fulfilled your word. You gave the sign. You've made the promise. And about 2,000 years ago, the fulfillment came. On a Bethlehem night, announced to Mary and Joseph and then the shepherds and others. Behold, in the city of David, there's been born a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. 
He gave the sign of a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. There was no room for him in the inn. But Lord, the question I think that we've been asking is, is there room in our hearts for him? Lord, so many things can crowd out the truth of who you are, the hustle and bustle, the pains, the difficulties, the, the questions that we have hovering over our souls. But thank you that you've said, ask me and I'll give you the sign. And the sign came, Jesus came. He is the sign that God loves us. He's not against us, he's for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Keep your head and heart bowed. If you've not met Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if maybe you're at a point where maybe you're at a crossroads and you weren't sure which way you were going to go, but you know you need to dedicate or even rededicate your trust to the Lord, maybe storm winds have been blowing, maybe forces have been deployed, and you have to decide who will I trust, where will I turn? Well, trust Jesus because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will give you what you need, not always what you want, but what you need. Would you trust him? That's really the question. Would you not be like Ahaz, but be more like Isaiah and just say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I don't get everything, but you've given the sign and you've told me what to do. And I'm going to confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord. I'm going to believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And I'm going to believe that that will save me and set my feet on a course of following the true king. So Father, thank you for decisions being made in hearts. Thank you for the sign that you've given us that we remember this Christmas season and we look forward to a second sign that will appear in the heavens, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the second time he comes, it won't be as a baby but it will be as the God-man, the resurrected king coming to make everything that's wrong in this world right again. And at Christmas, it's a good time to reflect on what's coming to help us persevere through what's difficult. So Father, bless your people. Strengthen them with this hope of Emmanuel. God is with us and for us. We're so grateful. We're so humbled. And we're just wanting to live out that reality, Father, in our families and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.